You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Shouldn't you be at work? It's a lovely chip! Oh, it's a brilliant goal! From Lord Pohino! Still it's not away. Southgate shot. Milosevic scores! Now you know him better than anybody probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, Hello and welcome to the Quickly Kevin Film Club. I'm Chris Gold. Joining me, Josh Widdicombe. Hello. And a man with a film career that burned just as brightly as Vinnie Jones. It's Mr. Michael Marden. Hello. Vinnie Jones's film career really peaked, didn't it, at Lockstock? You're like, wow, he's got a whole career ahead of him. And then there was Snatch. And then next yeah. thing you know, he's on X Factor Celebrities. And it's 20, 2020 and there's a pandemic. Oh, my God. I didn't even know he'd done that. Yeah, Vinnie Jones was at such a flavour of the month. It's weird, isn't it? Because Vinnie Jones became an actor and John Fashnu became a TV presenter. Neither of those moves make any sense at all. I don't know why <laughs> John Fashnu, who's basically a kind of run-of-the-mill Division One striker, why was he suddenly the host of Gladiators? He wasn't like a big character. He wasn't Ian Wright. Was there no other kind of sports people presenters around? You basically had Jimmy Greaves and Ian St. John. And then they were like, we need more. He's still going. He was a footballer. What, during Gladiators? Yeah, it started in 1992. Oh, my word. I was reading about it the other day. It started in 1992, so Fash was still going. So obviously Gladiators wasn't live, but that was deeply underlined by the fact that John Fashner was playing for Wimbledon an hour before Gladiators went on TV. (laughs) (laughs) And Ulrika Johnson was doing the weather in the morning on GMTV. Exactly. Not not even mentioning the fact that Cobra would have been at a school trying to sign people up to NatWest account. Um, (laughs) So, enough Gladiators, Um, although it's always a pleasure to stop off there for a little chat. Uh, Can we uh, talk about... United Passions. This is part of the Quickly Kevin Film Club, and um, it is the film that was brought out um, about FIFA, made by FIFA. Uh, do we want to hear the trailer? Yes. Can I just say, it's incredible. I couldn't believe what I was watching. Our sport has a bright future ahead. Every day around the world, new federations spring up. Will be the Fédération Internationale the Football Association. FIFA. FIFA! <laughs> Your so-called federation doesn't even exist yet. FIFA is full. Mr. Rimet, you need the money. We need a world championship. The first World Cup will be held in Uruguay. Well, my girl, what do you think of that? Mr. Avalanche is elected FIFA president. Our accounts are disastrous. Later. He's apparently good at finding money. I want you to make our ball the star of the next World Cup. If that ball becomes a star, FIFA and Adidas will sign the biggest deal the world's ever seen. An institution like ours cannot run on good intentions alone. 
You have everything you need to run our family. But you know, the slightest error, and you're out. I don't know where the money's gone. I mean, I have my suspicions. You've been betrayed. You could go to prison. The whole machine's going to blow up, and me with it. Everything I've done up until this point has been for the good of football. Gentlemen, remember, you're making history. What did you, so, Skull, you're a real advocate for this film. <laughs> you described it to me via text, last via text, as better than Steve Bruce books. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, the word better is really open to interpretation yeah. <laughs> but i i didn't really know anything about this film and i I'm, i feel so fortunate that this is the second film i've essentially reviewed in my life and i thought about whether or not i would say this today and i've been thinking all day about it but i would say this is the worst film i've ever seen and i've think? seen i've seen the room i don't know if people are familiar with the room there's yeah. a big kind of culture of people going to see the room at the cinema this is every bit as bad as the room. Do you think? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so bad. It's a, it's offensively it's bad. The worst film that we've reviewed in the last two weeks. I've I've been wrestling with that same dilemma all day, and I was trying to crunch the numbers of how many films I've seen in my life, and I think I've seen easily four to five thousand films comfortably, and I'd say it's in the bottom three. Like, <laughs> I, Why are you watching? I quite enjoyed it. I just, I hated it. I, ha- I hated it at a molecular level. What I'd add, it isn't that bad. And also, I think that Seth Blatter guy, people give him a bad <laughs> rep. Yeah. It's, I have never seen a film before that was like offensive, but this is offensive in so many ways, like morally, ethically, the way it treats nations. It's just incredibly bad is it because england come out of it very badly <laughs> i mean england i'd say england come out of it the worst watching this i did just go why in the name of god did we ever bid to host the world cup because it wasn't going to happen if this is how an in-house fifa movie is depicting the country yeah it was like a 16 million pound smear campaign on the english fa <laughs> Like only dictators make films like this. <laughs> the fact it's an organisation, I never knew anything about it. And it was only after I watched the film I was like started researching. I haven't done much reading. Could you could you give us the background to what this film is? So we should say sorry. Just give a brief pricey of the film and then give the background because we haven't actually said what the film is. We've just gone straight in. We've gone in straight in, presuming everyone's <laughs> watched it, which I'm pretty sure they haven't. Um, I've heard so. The film was released in 2015, just before the kind of FIFA corruption case really burst open. And it's the the story of FIFA tracking back right to 1905 when um, the French and the Spanish want to pull together various football associations. But they've, they've got a bit of trouble because the English already have their own. And then after that, it's just kind of the story of FIFA. And I mean, I was thinking about this today, if I had to describe the plot, it's almost impossible to do so because it is the history of a series of administrative decisions that are so intensely boring it is incomprehensible that these have been committed to film the mo- one of the most exciting bits is when step blatter has a meeting with at the back of a car with an adidas representative who told it to who tells him to make the ball the star of the world cup and you're like and then like the orchestral music rises in the background but the plot isn't the, the worst thing about it even though the plot is despicable like as i said before the way it treats various people but also the way it kind of hails the protagonists of fifa as the good guys throughout this movie but but mainly i think the thing you need to take away about the plot we're about to go through is that nothing happens as we describe this plot the nothing there's no big moments that- yeah what I found interesting is that historically, though, things do happen. This film spans almost 100 over, years. Over, yeah. 100 well, 100 years 100. over 100 years. Over 100 years. And covers every single World Cup, but somehow manages to avoid any dramatic drive, any narrative, any arc. Like every single thing about it, I'd say it picks and makes the worst possible choice. So, do you think they could have made it? Why are these? I, I know it's like money how much is tim roth getting paid do we know how much tim roth sam neil and gerard depardieu who obviously 
is not morally that well, good anyway, are being paid to be in this. Because surely these people, Sam Neill surely doesn't need no. the money, well, does he? I actually meant to, I meant to Google earlier today, has Sam Neill had a divorce recently? <laughs> Well, well, the budget is twenty-five to thirty-two million. So, Michael, what would Sam Neill well, and Gerard Depardieu? It's, Depp in, it's impossible home? to know. I suspect Tim Roth earned uh, at least a couple of million for this film, and and I imagine it was a fairly uh, generous shooting schedule as well. Like he got to turn up for a two or three weeks one summer, but because he's been openly very critical about this film, I remember at the time he he just, yeah. which is very rare to see on a sort of press trail or or soon after a lead actor come out and just go, no, that was dog shit. So do you think you're contractually obliged to be positive about the film and then the day you're not contractually obliged, well, he's like... I, I think you're contractually obliged not to be negative. Well, he went further than that. He said, I, I tried to convey in my performance that Seth Blatter may have been guilty. Like he kind of implied... <laughs> he, they, there's quotes out there that said, I knew I had to work with a script, but I wanted... I tried to convey my performance. Wow. I thought he was good. One thing you should do it after, and I, th- I actually think everybody who loves football should watch this film because it's a real insight into the psyche of FIFA and the, the, the disregard they have for the entire world. And they're like, the patronize that's so patronizing. These people think they own football. Everybody should watch this film if you love football because this is what these people think of the world and themselves. It's incredible. The fact that this went out there earnestly into the world and Sepp Blatter or anyone involved thought that this would be taken seriously or was credible, it, blo- it blows my mind. This is my question. Was it at any point, because it, it took like $600 in the US or whatever, well, they don't like football. $918 in its opening weekend, the lowest grossing film in American history. Did they think it was going to be a hit? Was it intended to be a successful film? Well, I heard that Seth Blatter, although I can't see him listening on the credits, I, I've read in interviews with the director that he was a producer and that, that this is just a vanity project. He kind of was involved with the script. He wanted this film made. And I don't think they particularly care. I mean, FIFA have so much money, they didn't care if it was a box office bomb or not because they just wanted the thing to exist. Well, you say FIFA have so much money. So this is <laughs> what I'd love to know is like, obviously, we know that FIFA is a complete hellhole of absolute, well, you can bleep it, right? <laughs> um, but there's an ongoing storyline about how much they're struggling for money that goes even into the 90s. Yeah. And I was like, is this a thing? Well, FIFA struggling for money? I think, do you know what? Should we go through the the film in a linear fashion? Because you're right, this comes up again and again. And actually, when we do these film reviews, I prepare notes. And I'm seriously, 90% of my notes are quotes that I've just taken from the film. It's incredible, the stuff they say. Like, the lack of self-reflection is is remarkable. The opening is great, because there's a disclaimer about how it's probably not true. (laughs) (laughs) I don't... Do you need to do that at the start of? You wouldn't do that at the start of the Damned United or something, would you? Wouldn't do that at the start of the Crown. I did. I thought no. I've never seen that in a film before. That they say this probably this stuff probably didn't happen. Yeah, like, and we've all seen films that are inspired by true events, but yeah, you never go. I just need to double check beforehand. Did this all definitely happen? <laughs> <laughs> Like Titanic. They didn't have to do it at the start of Titanic, did they? <laughs> um, so let's let's talk about the first. So we see kids playing football, and this is the, this kind of like, is a device they use over the 100 years. They'll just keep skipping back to these kids playing football. And you don't, there's no context to it. And eventually you'll find out why at the end. Well, do you know what it reminded me of? Because I'd watched this earlier this week. You know when Harry Met Sally, where there's the device of the old couples they keep returning to throughout the film, and it's kind of unconnected with the main plot? It reminded me of that. I never thought in my life I'd hear uh, United Passions and when Harry Met Sally compared. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Also, Sepp Blatter feels high maintenance. (laughs) (laughs) When Sepp Blatter fakes that orgasm, it's weird. (laughs) At the table with Hal Havalanche. <laughs> <laughs> right, sorry, Scott, you drive it. Well, you... 
This is such a nonsense. I, I, I hope people get angry at FIFA as we go through this. So it begins in kind of, we see kids playing football and then it, we, we start in 1905 and there's a game of football going on. And straight away, I think there's a thing to say about this film is we said it's like $32 million budget. It looks cinematic and good. You can tell that this had money spent on it. So there's a 1905 game of football going on. And if, like a couple of French people who are speaking English, the whole film's in English, they go up to a couple of English gentlemen and uh, this is where the trashing of the English really begins, and it never ends throughout the film. Sorry, stop you, Skull. You, I just need to say, say this disclaimer at this point. You say the whole film's in English. It's not. There's about four lines at the end of different conversations which are said in French that are subtitled for absolutely no reason. <laughs> Carry on. Um, so these couple of French blokes come up to a couple of english guys and they say we want why don't you join our federation all these kind of the football federations in the world are all doing their own thing why don't you join us and the english go no we're basically saying we're better we're better than you the english guys have a conversation after the french leave and go what what did those blasted frogs want they want to run the world game instead of us like that's actually a line one of the guys one of the englishmen when he's shouting at the players at the pitch shouts are you paralyzed man You then cut to a scene, and it's all the FIFA people drinking wine. In a basement. In a basement. And they kind of agree to form a federation, and then they say, we are FIFA at the end of it. And then they, they all laugh. They go, we'll be FIFA. Yeah. <laughs> so weird. But just before that, there's a quote where one of them said, or when they're deciding who's going to be the president of this new FIFA, and someone says to him, being president of FIFA will bring no glory, no money. Stick around, mate. Yeah. <laughs> about 70 years there's so many lines and moments in there there's there's a line that someone said that really tickled me i think he says um again it's all it's all sort of english and brit bashing he says uh we're gonna knock those brits on their english asses and i thought hold on a minute does that mean like welsh and scottish people are anatomically sort of independent apart from their asses <laughs> which which will always be english it's so clunkily scripted well, it's the shape of the country isn't it it's sitting on a, on an english ass on that what it, the the key issue with it is it is filmed and shot and scored like it's telling a very dramatic story yeah so so in the third scene you, you get like swelling strings and he says i believe the whole world should play football by the same rules and regulations. Yeah. And he says that in, in a bar on a night out. Like, yeah. They're getting drunk. And you're like, who says that? What is wrong with these people? And it got me thinking of that scene. Like, who wants to get into football administration? Like, oh, come on. You have to be something wrong with you in the first place. Yeah. I was reminded of Lincoln, Spielberg's Lincoln. They signed that sort of treaty that brings all of the federations together. It's like they're signing the Emancipation Proclamation. <laughs> it, it isn't that important, guys. It's mad. It's mad. And then you get Jules Rimet entering the frame. Played by Gerard Depardieu. And he, he, he joins it by heckling a press conference about uh, Uruguay winning the Olympics. And then they go, who the hell is that? And someone goes, Jules Rimet. Um, <laughs> and then they say, he's the president of a federation no one even knows. Everything is so loaded. So it's so first draft and so over the top. There's another line about Jules Rimeau where someone says, he's mad, and another person goes, no, he's a visionary. <laughs> when that person says there's no glory in being the head of FIFA, that's the truest thing said in the film. <laughs> and then it's just more and more exposition. They're just like explaining everything the whole time. It's just admin and people explaining stuff. Can we discuss yeah. Jules Rimeau's relationship with his daughter? I actually thought that was his wife for quite a so bit. Every scene with his daughter, I thought, is this going to end with him fucking his daughter? <laughs> <laughs> when she first turns up, isn't she his ma- She's like doing drinks for everyone. And you think yeah. it's the maid? I thought, oh, it's the maid. Yeah, and then it's like his daughter. So his daughter's always there and they've got... It's played like there's a sexual tension. I yeah. know, not intentionally, I'm sure. But the implication in every scene is I'm thinking, there's been three weeks on this ship. He's going to fuck his daughter. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> Just to be clear, she's like an adult at this point. Not that that makes it fine. It makes so it's fine. fine. No, but it, yeah. on the gradient, yeah, that is, and, you know. And there's no laws uh, at sea, so Interpol wouldn't be interested. 
They're probably not but formed yet either. Just, I'm not saying that that reflects on Jules Rima. I'm just saying I can't be the only one who's watching this film thinking that was about to happen, right? Well, as we know, the film wasn't based on real events, so he may or may not have fucked his daughter. Who knows? They actually got to the end of cutting the film and they were like, everything they'd done was true, but then they noticed the undercurrent with the daughter. They were like, I've got to put that disclaimer at the start because otherwise people are going to think that Joe Tremo was a daughter fucker. <laughs> so um, I think we've missed a bit here because it suddenly cuts. We tw- it advances 20, 20 years. So we're by Lake yeah. Geneva. It's 1925. And Gerald Depardieu is having dinner with someone. It's not introduced, I don't think. And Gerald Depardieu says to this guy, FIFA is poor. Oh, no, the guy, the guy is for, it becomes clear he's from Uruguay and he, he, wants, he wants to host the first World Cup. Gerald Depardieu says, FIFA is poor, but that doesn't mean we, we should sell the one attribute we possess, honour. That is literally the antithesis of FIFA. I think the, the real thing I take from this film is the absolute barefaced cheek of it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, the thing I was confused about, and I wanted to check whether you guys kind of read it this way, is that there's a lot of allusion to sort of corruption yes. in a lot of this film. So yeah. basically, Uruguay are buying, in, in the same way that you could say, and I'll say it, Qatar bought the World Cup. Yeah, Uruguay do the same thing, but Jules Rimet sort of plays it like he's he's at one point he says um it's an undecided host nation, and in the scene before we've just seen him agree that Uruguay are going to host it because they're going to yeah. bankroll it, and he's presented as this sort of like progressive but also behind the scenes corrupt, and this is a thread that continues, obviously setting up the platform for SEP to come along and kind of clean house yeah it's you're right it's absolutely mad that bit because the uruguay says oh, oh the guy says i'm gonna pay for it and gerald depardieu says do you promise not to cheat he goes yes and then he says do you will you pay us a percentage of each ticket sold he said yes how big's the stadium the guy goes a hundred thousand seats and then it skips like you say to that vote and it, and it's just gerald depardieu is going okay this was a free vote and the tournament will go to uruguay so it's like so the, it was a bribe very weird. yeah it was corrupt very. and that's and in also, the film gerald depardieu's the man who's we're introduced to by um, he's shouting at Uruguay having won the Olympics, saying that there wasn't enough teams there. So what's his relationship with Uruguay? Yeah, and also like he's his sort of whole soapboxing is it's not a competition, a legitimate competition unless every team is involved. Then the World Cup happens. There's only 13 teams in that World Cup, so you have failed. Your one manifesto sort of thing is every nation should play, and you only get 13 to play. Well, I've read about that World Cup, and it's like a lot of the teams didn't think it was going to be a big thing. So, like England, obviously, uh, didn't take part because they just thought it was a kind of two-bit competition. And also it was in Uruguay, which was really difficult to get to. What's yeah. kind of not made clear enough in that film but is true is that, um, because I remember reading this in a book, was that I can't remember exactly which the teams were, but like four of the teams or something like that travelled on the same boat that kind of picked them up on the way. Uh, Yes, I've heard that before, yeah, yeah. down to Uruguay, and it was like picking up teams on the way. Yeah, they mention that in the film, don't they? Oh, we'll pick up the Brazilian team in Rio. Yeah, so they're just picking up teams. You know, like when you call for someone, so they'd like, Italy would get in and then they'd like call for Brazil yeah. and then they'd like <laughs> can Zico come out to play <laughs> so anyway so far just to recap so far the English are bad uh, Jules Rime wants to fuck his daughter and Uruguay have just bought the World Cup sprinkling in a lot of casual sort of abhorrent racism okay then, then here we go let's get into that racism so we, we get to Uruguay here's the World Cup and there's like a drinks reception for some football administrators and the and an English guy talking to Jules Rime's daughter and he's going Black people basically can't play play football. Africans can't play it. They won't understand it. And then he's like, whatever next? Women playing football? Like, and this is a thick English accent. He goes, and he basically says to Shulshra, his daughter, you need to get back to the sink before your head explodes. Or something like that. <laughs> and you're like, oh my God, like, so he's, he's racist, this six, and again, this is like a brand new Englishman. And, and Jules Rimet kind of outwits him, and the English guy walks off to uplift, uplifting music, like Jules Rimet saved the day. You're like, what an astonishing scene. And then Jules Rimer and its daughter celebrate in the way only they know how. <laughs> I mean, I think, compared to the other two films we've watched, the football scenes are way better. Yes, I thought that. Apart from the stuff with the kids, which is appalling. Yeah. I, yeah. I've, I've never, I mean, I used to play in defence. I've never tackled just by falling over. It's, it's really bizarre. 
it's like they just fall out of the way of people that run at them like they've got some kind of force field but that happens in so many football films the defender's role is to just sort of go and then just fall the other way of the attacker it's choreographed football is so bad it's like it's the reason i don't like wwf any choreographed yeah. sport doesn't work for me but we won't but what, get into that. what makes it what makes it even worse and this is the only actually the only part of the film that i did enjoy was because obviously it's fifa they've got the rights and the access to all of the footage of the various world cups so often you'll get this really like amazing kind of candid footage of these world cups and it's brilliant you know you'll see pele and ozzy Ardiles and maradona but then it'll cut to like another bit of footage that's clearly been filmed and you're like you can't you can't mix those two things. You can't go from the World Cup, the greatest stage of yeah. football, to some really bad staged football. It just doesn't work. You've got to commit one way or the other. I loved the footage of the World Cup. Yeah, that was that was, that was nice. So good. The weird thing is, not the modern ones, and I wonder whether they will ever get to that for me. But World Cups I don't remember still look so. The 1986 World Cup, I could watch footage of that forever. And that Argentinian one with all the ticker tape yeah. and like, not 66, obviously, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I just, just, do you know, the, the attitude of this film to 1966 is similar to mine. Um, <laughs> we'll get there. I find footage of old World Cups as just so exhilarating and so kind of transporting. Vivid. Yeah. Vivid. Because I think at that time, footage and technology was changing to such an extent that each World Cup looked different. And now I don't think you would ever see, I don't think you could tell apart footage of 2010 and 2018. I've always felt like from 1970 onwards, basically when you had colour, like I love love seeing footage of the 1970 World Cup and those kind of proto-stadiums. Um, yeah. 1970 for me is really begins. The Brazilian shirts in 1970 are unbelievable colour. Yes, it's sensational. It's great. Sorry, what a dry aggression. But um, should we just let's let's finish up? Was it the nineteen thirty? Is it the nineteen thirty World Cup at this point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I just re- I've just captured a bit of dialogue. But think I think it's between Jules Rimet and his daughter, and um, <laughs> Jules Rimet says, um, uh, "Fuck me." he's talking about like the ambition for like fifa and he says it 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 almost doesn't seem appropriate and his daughter says when have dreams ever been appropriate yeah well you know when they say that (laughs) yeah i know and then they fuck (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and i'm post post uruguay world cup it rocketed through the sort of history obviously they got a lot to cover but the speed in which it dismisses every single world cup was kind of mind-blowing in its efficiency it's got this dis- dis- difficult situation where it's trying to tell the story of the world cups but it's also not yeah. so they're kind of getting in the way of the lack of storyline so so then war is about to break up uh, Gerard Depardieu has a, a conversation on a bridge with another football administrator and the football administrator is going oh we're, we're skint basically we're, we've got no money and Gerard, Gerard Depardieu goes but you're a good man and you're just like what what is the, what is this bit? The impression I got, and again, I don't know whether it was true or not, was that he had somehow gambled FIFA's money on the stock markets and yes, lost all of their money. But I again, I was like, I didn't understand it. Was it not the the depression or whatever? Yeah, well, yeah, but I think perhaps he had sort of poorly advised the people in charge of FIFA's. But again, I, I like, I genuinely, I don't know. I don't know the answer. Again, it's one of those things you're like, what is this bit? Only people involved with FIFA would know what they're talking about here. And then you, they, we, we see it, that we've come to a scene where they're, they're, one of them explains they're in neutral Zurich, so even more exposition. And there's a bunch of football administrators now sitting in a room. And they just start they just start rowing about hit. I couldn't really tell. You can't really tell what they're rowing about. But basically, it's clear this like FIFA had no role to play in the war, but they feel like they can't skip over it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you do a film that straddles nineteen thirty nine and nineteen forty five, you've got to mention the war in some way. So they've put in a scene, even though FIFA have no point within it. Yeah, and the the, foot, the German football administrator is kind of the baddie in this conversation because he's like, "Oh, Hitler didn't shake Jesse Owens' hand or something like that." It's it's a bizarre scene and completely unnecessary. Doesn't serve any purpose. Um, so anyway, that scene ends and suddenly it's 1950, and the, the English turn up again. They're here at the World Cup, 
and they're the baddies the again. <laughs> like the music's really sinister when the English people. There's no real mention of any other results in the in the World Cup, but they really bring up that England lost the USA in 1950. Yeah. <laughs> That's like the, the only thing. England to beat ever. It's really it's really dwelled upon like no other result in the history of football. And then Brazil lose the final. Yeah, which again, happened. this is just baffling. Well, well, there's a bit just before that. Gerard, uh, Jules Rime, Gerard Depardieu, takes his seat and he turns to the woman to his right and says, uh, who's that guy over there? And then the camera <laughs> yeah. shot drops about 40 rows down and like 700 <laughs> seats to the left. And, <laughs> and uh, she clocks who he's talking about first time. He goes, oh, that's Hal Havelange, like who's going to be the next big football yeah. administrator and they wave and you're like how has he picked him out <laughs> uh, guess, really, it was sam neil <laughs> sam um, wasn't he in jurassic park <laughs> <laughs> um so then they focus on the fact brazil thought they were going to win but they didn't which is a fact i read yeah. about that in i'm reading inverting the pyramid and there's a big chapter on that but i don't know what it has anything to do with what we're watching and it's about yeah. 10 minutes of brazilians being cocky and then losing as if it matters but i know i know people like, mention the dutch almost winning in the 70s but that then that 1950 final is is seen as a bit of a tragedy that you know brazil were, everyone thought they were going to win and they did they didn't but, yeah, but i mean this is literally in 1954 or whatever it was no one's made us they didn't even mention that world cup but the, but the way this is port- portrayed as an absolute ground-shaking tragedy like like a global t- catastrophe is, is unreal like Depardieu hands over the the trophy and he's like he's so mournful he hands over the trophy like I couldn't give a shit mate <laughs> well, he, he, he gets up from his seat sort of before the match is finished and walks down through the sort of underbelly of the stadium the American R and then there's this sort of weird moment where he stops at the, some stairs and the soundtrack goes silent and it's like really really sort of bright light and I, I thought he died. I thought he <laughs> along the walk he died, and this was him like walking up to heaven. I was so confused. And then he walks up, and it's all in sort of that slight slow motion, and it's like uh, the scene in Saving Private Ryan, the start of Saving Private Ryan, where Tom Hanks gets sort of not hit by a grenade, but it's close proximity, and he gets knocked out, and he wakes up, and all of his hearing's gone, and it's all a bit slow and all a bit spatial. And he walks onto the pitch, and it's like it's like the stadium has sort of been attacked almost. And these players are walking around like they don't know what's happened, like as if mortar shells are falling everywhere, and people are like crying. You're like, what? What's going on? But but what I don't understand is like they won a fair game of football. Like all it was was a football match, and one team lost. What have I missed? What 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 am I not understanding here? It's so, it's so, it's no different from any other final which kind of goes the wrong way or the way that, you know, feels unjust. But it's such a centerpiece of the film. It makes no sense. And then we just kind of cut, and Brazil have won two World Cups. And it, we get to 1966, don't we, then? Yeah, skip right, skip right on for 1966. And then Sam Neill now, is it, I think we skip, no, we see the cough, Gerald, uh, Jules Rimet's coffin. Lowered down, and then we skipped to see some kids, and then here's Sam Na- Sam Neil was how happening. Uh, yeah. Well, you missed the scene where his um his lover, sorry, daughter, gives a speech at his funeral. Which <laughs> is pure pumped out propaganda. It's unreal. Who gives a speech by the coffin as well? That sequence where they sort of they deal with sixty six in I'd say about fifteen seconds with just people in a shop window watching the match. It does one of my big bugbears in movies in that it uses music from that place that hadn't been released at that point in time. Oh, uh, yeah. So that, that song didn't come out until 1968. So was it Substitute uh, Beats? Yeah, substitute Beats. Who, and it's like, oh, no, who? who's the music coordinator here? Just like you had one job, dude. You had one job. Also, The Who agreeing to have their song used in this film. Another bunch of guys who must need well, the money. Well, they use Talking Heads as well. So Yeah, that, David, I've written that yeah, down. Sign that off. Well, it depends who owns the rights to it. I, I would be surprised if David Byrne didn't have a say. There's normally two sides, so the Labour will own half and he, the artist, will own half, and they both have to sign off on it. So there's a world in which David Byrne has gone, yeah, okay, okay. I mean, he couldn't give a shit, could he? <laughs> yeah, no, probably not. If David Byrne even knows what FIFA is. <laughs> <laughs> So 
So uh, Sam Sam Neil when he turns up, and we just before the World Cup in 1966, he's not yet the chief football administrator. It's an English guy, and I don't I don't actually remember catching his name. So Stanley Rouse. Stanley Rouse. That's it. And he's um so he's he's having a conversation with Sam Neil, and he's basically saying to him, uh, "You're from Brazil." You're, you probably won't be re- welcome to FIFA because we're not ready for poor people at FIFA. Yeah. More English bashing. And like this, this guy is, of all the ch- the top football administrators, this guy, the English guy, is by far the, the worst in the, the way he's portrayed. He's two-dimensional. Let's put he's, it that way. He's portrayed like um, Emperor Palpatine from the Star Wars movies. There's a real sort of like imperial menace about him. It's like the baddie in like an AE sports film. I'd love to know whether Stanley Rouse was a... I, I don't know anything about him. I know the name. That's why I've remembered it. But I don't know whether he was a complete, you know, imperialist. <laughs> so then he loses in the election to Joe Avalanche. And, and it's a real kind of, it's, again, portrayed, it's goodies beating the baddies. That's yeah. how that whole scene is set up when Hal Avalanche is kind of elected. Yeah, but even then, like, I know there's a sense of him sort of being able to win the vote by being more inclusive and extending an olive branch to the African nations and then their their votes being important. But running along parallel to that is the fact that he is clearly corrupt, this guy. This is a film about FIFA basically explicitly saying Set Blatter's predecessors were all corrupt. Yeah. yeah. But they're not they haven't got a sign off on it. Do you know what I mean? How involved is like but it seems like Blatter got on with him, doesn't it? Yeah, it's 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 a strange relationship they have. So we see we see England win the World Cup in '66. It's skipped over, completely glossed over, and then suddenly it's 1970. You see how Havilland is. Yeah, he's friends with all the African nations, and the, the English guy, Stanley Rouse, on the way out says to says to How Havilland, Africans will never understand football. You've opened Pandora's box. The last act of Stanley Rouse is to essentially be racist. It's unbelievable. But then we see Seth Blatter for the first time. Yeah. It's, can so I say Sepp, awful accents all round? So Sepp Blatter's accent, Tim Roth's accent is awful. Sam Neill's is like goes to Irish and all over the place. Also, um, Gerard Depardieu's daughter, she couldn't sound less French if she tried. <laughs> what do we think of Blatter when he turns up? He, he he's kind of meant to be portrayed as the hero, but thinking about what Tim Roth said, like he never he never smiles. You never see him happy throughout this kind of third act. Whenever he's around, he's just quietly going around making decisions. That's all it is. Yeah. yeah. There was a kind of um, quiet dignity, a kind of like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy vibe to him where yeah. he was this sort of a f- quiet, efficient man behind the man. You know, he was the guy that you went to 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 get things done. You see, a big moment is when he secures the sponsorship of Coca-Cola, oh. which <laughs> is just so awful because... The kind of sponsorship of Coca-Cola is seen as this, this wonderful thing that's really helped football. I'm not saying it hasn't, but corporate sponsorship is shown to be the absolute jewel in the crown of football. That is secured corporate sponsorship is the best thing about football, according to yeah. this film. Well, there's this astonishing sequence where it's essentially Blatter just doing a series of endorsement deals. Like back <laughs> yeah, to- that's exactly what it is. We sort of mentioned earlier, he meets the guy from Adidas who... By this point, is probably the biggest sports brand in the world, and it's a guy operating out the boot of his car, <laughs> and he's just got a load of kit in the boot. So that's either one of the, that's one of the dazzlers, whichever one is. Oh, Adi Dazzler, right? And then in the um, the Talking Heads eighties montage, they just show his coffin. Ten years later, in a montage, you just go, "Oh, he's dead then." <laughs> yeah. He then does a deal with Adidas, and they make Tango the ball of the. 78 World Cup. I, at this point, realised that I actually was quite enjoying the film. And i tell you why. Simply because I'm interested in football and the World Cup in particular. I was always only so bored because I knew another World Cup was just around the corner. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was always like, well, this Adidas scene's a bit tedious. But we are going to see footage of Argentina 78 in a minute, and I will enjoy that. I found it really interesting to to see what they think of themselves, to sit in their heads. Doing these deals with Coca-Cola is equally as important, if not more so, celebrated than having a World Cup. Like, Blackford yeah. doing doing the deal with Coca-Cola or Adidas is seen as a better achievement than Uruguay winning the World Cup when Depardieu has to hand over the trophy. And I think this is the key question of the film, which is... Does Sepp Blatter believe that he is a force for good? In Not in the film, in real life. So 
does Blatter believe that he is generally doing positive work? I don't know what the answer to this is, but that's kind of the bigger question that I know. I know that's not the kind of thing we discuss in this podcast, but that's kind of the bigger question that this film brought home to me. It's like, when someone is corrupt, do they think, well, I'm just corrupt, I'm a baddie? Or does Set Blatter within his own mind believe that he is a force for good in football? And yeah, I took a few backhanders, whatever. But if you think, but I think it's that, that lack of self-awareness, you're right, is so intriguing. Like, if Nelson Mandela made a film about his life, I'm sure he wouldn't just make it so that he was the greatest guy who ever lived and he probably one of the greatest guys who ever lived. What is it about their psyche? The, the reason I think they might be baddies is the way they've portrayed themselves without any awareness. Like, they are trying to whitewash their lives. But even with despotic leaders, like Vladimir Putin or someone, he probably believes that what he is doing is for the greater good of Russia. I think you're right. There's definitely there's sort of two things at play. One is you can never underestimate the power of deniability. A person's ability to sort of justify a thing in their own mind, because if they don't, it will undermine almost their entire existence. The moment sort of that Blatter acknowledges what would have been an incremental level of corruption. You know, he didn't rock up as a former, what was he, a Swiss watchmaker or something? I don't know. I can't remember. He worked with watches. He didn't turn up one day and just be corrupt. It's a thing that happens systemically over years, if not decades. And probably by the time you reach the point where you should be reflecting on it, to do that means that your entire life is built on a lie or corruption or a crime so i think you then do find ways to justify it and actually you know you would hope in these sort of autumn years these winter years maybe he will reflect and look back and go oh no i i was wrong but he probably he probably thinks he did uh, like on balance what he did for football in the world probably does justify some level of corruption like he, he probably genuinely does yeah but here's the here's the thing about the third act it's kind of it's, they they acknowledge there is some corruption, but they, they don't directly deal with it. Like there's a conversation where Set Blatter has with a journalist, where the journalist says like, "What's going? What's going on?" Like I I know some of this stuff is happening, and Set Blatter's like, "Oh, is this off the record?" And then the next thing is that this guy's published a book, and it's kind of implied that the journalist betrayed him by printing a book about stuff. And and, and while this is going on, people are going up to him and going, "Hey, Set, hey Blatter, slightest error you make, and you're out." Like. It's it's yeah. totally, it's how Blatter sees the world. Like everyone's against him, everyone's corrupt and he's trying to be good. What I wasn't expecting was the acknowledgement of corruption, actually. So what I was expecting was a film that was just a very straightforward portrayal of the success of FIFA and football. But actually what it seemed to be was a kind of case for the defence. Yeah, yeah. But they never directly address what the corruption is. It's just kind of like it's, it hovers in the background. It's never absolutely addressed. It's just all these rumours that, that the the most direct way it's um, like kind of addressed is when that book comes out. It's like FIFA, FIFA are kind of accused of being bent. And people are coming up to him going, damn it, Bladder, when are you going to defend yourself? These accusations are false and you know it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but you're not, you don't actually know what they are. And, and the kind of... There is a simmering undercurrent of that this is all corrupt the whole time, but you don't actually know how, and it's never really addressed, but they do like nod towards it. Yeah, it's not clear enough what they're talking about. That's And what it made me want to do, which I'm sure wasn't its intended reason for existing, in fact, it was the opposite, was I left thinking, I wonder if there's a really good book. So I, I realised I don't... If someone asked me what the corruption at FIFA was, and they said, I don't think there was any. You know when someone argues with you and you know they're wrong, but you actually don't know as much about the topic as they do. I realised I know absolutely nothing about the corruption of FIFA. And were I pressed on it, I'd struggle and kind of say the words TV rights or say the words like um, hosting of World Cup. But I wouldn't well, actually know beyond the word Qatar or Russia. Well, I think that, that proves that they aren't corrupt. It also proves my favourite line in the film, which is uh, said without any hint of irony, the World Cup has done more for world peace than any UN resolution. Oh yeah, the end is just incredible. Like, it I, just, I, just lays yeah. it all out, doesn't it? That's during a scene in which they're playing Sabutio, unbelievably. Yeah, and then he sort of rips up the paper and scatters it over the Sabutio pitch as if he's the one that invented that sort of confetti that was iconic in that World Cup. 
Yeah, that's so weird. I mean, also, let's just be clear. That World Cup was held in Argentina under a fascist military dictatorship. And there's this kind of undercurrent that they're doing a good thing by holding the World Cup there because it's good for the... I just... It's just, it's just mad. The, the final kind of 20 minutes, they, it, they, it's almost like they realise they don't have an ending. There is no crescendo. We haven't been building towards anything. So yeah. it's like they're trying to construct some sort of big moment. And, and basically, Blatter kind of addresses some of the corruption and he, and he walks into this, the big kind of FIFA room and says, a number of you have tried to offer up my head instead of your own. And then some sort of vote happens, but it's never kind of addressed. Yeah, it's so complicated. And, and it's, it's somehow like it's kind of implied someone's they're trying to get rid of him because they think he's corrupt or that he's saying they're corrupt. Then some sort of vote happens and then the big rising orchestral music is back and Blatter's re-elected and it's like the goody one. It's like the end of Teen Wolf. Here's a question. Do you think anyone has watched and enjoyed this? No. Uh, yes. I, and I'll tell you, he probably lives in Switzerland. <laughs> and, he, and he's been banned from FIFA till 2022. So those nine, you know, when they say like, oh, it only took 900 pounds at the box office in the first weekend. I don't think the question should be, how does it take so little? It's who are those people? <laughs> like, that feels like, like one ticket sold feels too much. Unless people are going ironically because of the bad reviews like or they the huge tim roth completists like i don't kind of understand who this is for michael if you put any if you got a film on national release of any standard would you be expecting to make like more than 918 dollars like if you put anything on would people just yeah would you just get that the cost that it is involved with just making if not film prints like DCP digital copies of that and put it in the cinemas, it's like two or three thousand per file that's made. And I think it was released in ten movie theaters on first release. So there's there's twenty to thirty thousand dollars just to physically make the files to send to the cinema. And I was sort of digging into this, hoping to find a bit more gold, but there wasn't much there. But the the one fact I found on IMDb, which is interesting, is uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, the film grossed nine dollars in its opening weekend, which is basically one person bought a ticket. <laughs> one person. And they've gone on their own. <laughs> I, mean. I quite liked the end <laughs> because the, the, it was quite neat, the end. Yeah. I hadn't anticipated how the film was going to end. So it, it cuts back to one of the football administrators from the kind of the 1930s and he, he kind of goes on this bit of a monologue. But there's one quote I've pulled out in particular, which I thought just sums up how FIFA think about themselves. And he says we made football the most played sport on the planet. Oh, right. It's like, FIFA, you cannot take credit for this game. If anything, you have stolen it. Like, it, well, that made me so mad. What, what the problem is, and it's the constant problem with football, is that it is a product so good that people are willing to continue and i will continue i love world cups i thoroughly enjoyed the russia world cup despite it being held by fifa in a totally corrupt country uh no matter how well the journalists kept saying they were being treated as if that helped but when you when you if you noticed when they, when they were blinking they were blinking sos in morse code <laughs> <laughs> oh do you know what Qatar's actually lovely. When the journalists in Russia were saying they were being treated well, they were like Richard Keyes saying that Qatar is actually better. He speaks very anyway, highly of it on his blog. He does speak very highly of it. Anyway, football's a product that is so good and you're in it for the football that they're not making money out of their own hard work. They're making money out of the fact it is a product that you can't fail to make money of if you're in charge of it. That's It's as simple as that, really, isn't it? I know. Yeah. That's the problem. I'm sure that wasn't the case in the 30s. And it's impossible to tell from this movie because all you come away with is that he had an inappropriate relationship with his daughter. But there's every chance that the beginnings of FIFA were, in fact, quite a noble decision. I don't think there was a decision that in 100 years they wanted to corruptly give a World Cup to Qatar. There must have been some nobility to it at the start. But it's impossible to tell from this film. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? And then the fact that they talk so much about how they're investing in Africa and Asia and like how they want that to do well. And it's like, you've just spent $32 million on this vanity project, boosting your own egos instead of doing something like important for the world game. And you've taken all of the credit for the success of this sport. With anything, you've dragged it through the mud. 
and the way the things you're doing, like this film is out there so you think better of FIFA. This is how they see themselves. And I think if you love football, you have to go watch this film to see yeah. the disrespect they feel for everybody who enjoys this game and, and the, the kind of the vanity of these people and the, the, the way they feel they are responsible for the creation of the world game. It is insane. It's infuriate. I'm so angry with them. Every time something comes up with FIFA, I get angry. But watching this film, it's so bad and it's hilarious. But also, it really does make me angry about how they think they, how they think they've created this amazing sport. It's it's fascinating. It's so bizarre. But also, when you're watching this, you, I really regret. You know, you just, I just wish I could have a bit of a bit of a laugh about Mel Sterling heading in his own cross. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's what we're doing this for. Is like those kind of. Every football film ever I've seen is basically naff. This is the least naff in a weird way. I'm angry. Like, genuinely, I'm sat here and I'm quite stressed. It's maybe it's maybe angry. <laughs> but I think this film could do some good. I think if enough people saw it, FIFA needs a shake-up. And maybe this film can go some way of helping that. So maybe, in some respects, there is some good come out it's like of this. get rid of Sepp Blatter and then you just go, Sepp Blatter wasn't the bad apple that needed removing from FIFA. That's the fact yeah. of it. Yeah. I mean, he's the tip of the iceberg, isn't he? Yeah. Um, it ends and uh, South Africa get the 2010 World Cup. And it ends with possibly the funniest bit, which is a kind of amalgam shot of... Nelson Mandela and Tim Roth as Sepp Blatter, which is one of the most disrespectful <laughs> things I've ever seen. Uh, so bad. How, how many Mitre Deltas, or should it be Adidas Tangos, the star of the Adidas, film? Adidas how many Adidas, Adidas Tangos are you giving it out of 10? Can we have minus Tangos? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one of the worst films I've ever seen. It's like zero, zero. But I think it is, it is worth watching if you're a football fan. You've got to see how these people think about themselves. But I'm giving it zero. Michael? Yeah, if we can't give minus, um, I thought it was tedious, dishonest, grubby propaganda. Zero out of ten. It is comfortably in the bottom three worst films I've ever seen. It's horrible. I'm going to go and have a shower. You know what, though? I, I, I had a much better time than you two. I, <laughs> because I just I, I enjoy footage of the World Cups yeah. enough that that carried me through. So I'm... The football footage was actually better than the football footage in either of the two films we've watched because it was real football. I'm going to give it a. I'm going to give it a four. A four out of what? Ten. What? That is astonishing. Blaz, Blaz got to you, mate. Blaz, you're as corrupt as fucking FIFA. I, I'd like you to. What evidence have you got that Set Blaster was corrupt? <laughs> you don't actually know. We just we just know it as a thing. Don't we? Uh, what are we watching next week? Shall we watch a shot at glory with Ali McCoy mm-hmm. as a kind of palate cleanser? Yes, please. Yeah. We'll be watching A Shot of Glory with Ali McCoyst and Robert Duval. Yes, please. Until then, Robbie Slater. See you later. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.